0: okay looks like it works fine here we go again (laughs) good morning and welcome to still growing grace i'm so glad you took time to join me today uh today we're gonna have a really fun topic um a pretty cool topic well not cool but still fun (laughs) we're gonna talk about hell can you believe that uh the topic today is what is hell and unfortunately that is a really big topic uh, some others would say instead there is no hell or make some other grandeur statements that of course there's a hell what is hell is it dante's inferno is it a burning lake that god's gonna get uh, his eternal vengeance on you it, listen this is a huge topic and unfortunately um i did not learn anything about hell except from my pastor uh, if you read the comments below in the thingy, uh, I, I noted that if, if the only thing you've learned about hell is from your pastor, there's a problem. Do not just take your pastor's word on their imp- uh, interpretation of what they think hell is. I'm a pastor. I do not expect the people in my church to, to just take what I say at face value. I expect them to dig deeper and realize, listen, I've had, I even had people that I love. Okay. Challenge me and say, Hey, I, I don't see it that way. Or um, I've, I've heard a different perspective on this opinion of yours on this verse or this text. And I had to go back and look and study and realize, huh, they have a valuable opinion. Fantastic. And I come back usually the next Sunday or two and say, Hey, uh, I was incomplete about my opinion or wrong flat out. So, listen, pastors don't know everything. They can't. Nobody does. You don't. I don't. All these YouTube channels that uh, seem to indicate they know all the truth. Oh, come on. So today, just for fun, actually, I've been waiting a really long time to do this. Uh, I, I told some of the seniors in my church that I wanted to preach on hell. And, and one, of them, uh, one of them said, because uh, I told him I was going to call it and so one one sunday weeks after i said that uh she said so i can hardly wait i said for what i want i can hardly wait for what the hell <laughs> I said what oh that was a, i was gonna call my sermon series what the hell is hell is it's a cheeky way to you know capture attention, but <laughs> she she loved it so uh, i still have not taught on it and i will be um this discussion uh is a conversation to open the door because um, not everybody's open to hearing there's another opinion. It, it, it's true. If, if all you've heard is from what you heard at church, there's a problem. The first time that I heard there was something uh, or another perspective on hell was in my uh, systematic theology class in Bible college. Why does everybody have to wait to go to Bible college to learn some of these deeper truths? they don't have to and they shouldn't have to this stuff should be taught every Sunday from the pulpit this is the stuff that we need to teach everyone we should not just save it for the clergy I think that's ridiculous and uh you know having been a pastor now for 30 years I see the big gap in what is I'll say held back because oh they wouldn't understand it well that might be true but teach it don't assume people are dumb Don't assume people aren't hungry, and don't assume there are people um, uh, with an intellect that uh, aren't hungry for more. Oh, my goodness. I think it's incredible. So instead of um, is there a hell or anything like that, we're going to talk what is hell. So this week and next week are parts one and two. Um, So today's part one, a conversation with Richard Murray and uh, Bill Thrasher. I think you're really going to enjoy it. In fact, by the time we were done the second one, we thought, are we going to keep going? So, oh, yes. There's a couple more conversations that we need to have. So there's a lot more um, to understand about this topic than what we've been told. And I don't want to create fighting. I don't want to create, you're wrong. Oh, yeah, the Bible says this. That's not what I'm after. I'm, <clears throat> I'm after a conversation of growing. <clears throat> sorry. growing and learning together. We're still growing in grace. None of us have arrived. Oh, right. That's the the name of this program. So without any more babbling, let's get into the actual interview and the conversation. I think you're going to really like it. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing in Grace. I hope you enjoyed the last number of uh, conversations we've had with Bill Thrasher and Richard Murray. Uh, I'm Michael Zenker. I'm up in Canada. These two brothers are down in uh, Atlanta or Georgia, sorry, in Georgia, right? Both of you are right. in Georgia? Yes. Okay. I thought so. Um, for more of their information, make sure you look down in the description. I've got links to all their stuff down below. You'll be really pleased with what's there. Um Today, we're going to talk about one of the most controversial topics in Christendom, I believe, at least in the Western church. And if you don't know it's a a conflict, uh, once we begin to talk about it, you'll realize, oh, it is, because there's an assumed belief that's not talked about enough. And churches and pastors assume everyone clearly agrees on this topic, and that, that has to do with the topic Of hell, that's right. The topic of hell, and uh, I grew up having to watch shows like uh, Late Great Planet Earth or Thief of the Night, Distant Thunder, uh, End Time stuff, and the that was always tied into the topic of hell. That if you don't believe, you're going to hell, Um, and that was my mom screamed this in my ear. If I have a chance to tell you later, I'll tell you some of the things she she yelled at me, but this topic is so big i would like to just discuss it for this reason if you've not been exposed to the reality that maybe there's another perspective on hell that you've not been told about i think this could be really good and you're going to discover there are a lot of ways to see this and a lot of teachers speaking on it clearly so um, I want to introduce uh, Bill first to this and say, hey Bill, what have you uh, uh, just a surface picture of uh, of hell what have you been hearing? Um, where do you think we're going to go with this and then we'll ask the same thing to uh, Richard
1: Yeah, I mean very similar to you um, I grew up in a, um, a culture, a Christian culture. Uh, obviously I grew up in the south of, of America and a very Baptist uh, reformed type type culture where you know, the looming aspect of my faith was always underpinned by this, this fear mechanism that was hell as a everlasting place of torture, right? And um, I, it, it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe, maybe five years ago that I really, that that was the final, I think, shoe to drop for me theologically. Um, a lot of other things led up to that but to, to learn and start to investigate and explore with freedom and with confidence and with um, total um, grace, you know, that, that there's not this underlying threat that we've been told about, that there's something that's different that I would define that way now. There, there are those out there, I think, that are, are trying to say there's no such thing as hell. And I probably would not fall into one of those camps personally. But I do think that we've we've totally misconstrued what what this idea of hell is. The word hell is a, a perversion within itself. It's a an amalgamation of all these different things in Scripture that we've kind of shoved into one narrative, and we've tried to de- define it. Um, similar to Satan, we've taken cultural imagery and and literature and 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 you know myth and legend and we shoved all this thing into this narrative that's become something bigger and and worse and honestly way off track from what I think was the original understandings of, of the early church. And even beyond that, even the Jewish people where Jesus came from. Um and when you start to dig into that stuff, you figure out that <laughs> that so much of this is different. I guess that's the best way of putting it. There is a better way of understanding it, a more Christ-like way of understanding it, and a more hopeful way of understanding it. And I think that's probably what we'll dig into over the next, you know, couple sessions here i guess
0: okay richard does it look like that bill has this like saint image behind him where the his (laughs) head's a bit holy you know those pictures of art where their head has that (laughs) round circle
1: (laughs) sorry (laughs) well
0: you told me to
2: turn off my angel light behind me. i
1: know
0: you had to touch by an angel light going
1: on behind you (laughs) i'm in my guest room and this is just the art piece that usually sits above the bed that's actually an air mattress (laughs) I love it. Sorry. It (laughs) It looks good.
0: (laughs) It looks good. I just couldn't help it. It just looks like it. Anyway. All right. Um, Richard, uh, your journey of this uh, this topic of hell, um, similar to what we just heard from Bill. In fact, Bill touched on something. Something triggered him to revisit this. Maybe we can hear that from each of us. What caused us to rethink this?
2: Yeah, for me, uh, my deconstruction on the nature of God didn't start off with hell. Uh, It started off with um, other topics. It started off with scripture, you know, how to read scripture by the spirit, uh, how to read scripture using the nature of Jesus as our interpretive lens. And
0: uh,
2: (laughs) as I posted the other day, you know, every scripture has to bow its interpretive knee to Jesus. And it's his name and origin. You know, one of the early church fathers, you know, I think we've shared this before talked about how. He, you, you cross-examine Scripture with the nature of Jesus. Whatever doesn't conform to Jesus isn't of Jesus and isn't of God. So, some, sometimes, um, you know, things are in Scripture that we're there to we're there to deconstruct, and they've been poorly constructed, and we need to deconstruct the way that maybe some fundamentalists and some some people that have been in charge for too long. <laughs> have, have, have interpreted it. But for me, it was just that, does God send, uh, sickness? Does God send depression? Does God judge us on the earth with uh, disaster or destruction and that sort of thing? I started off my deconstruction there and went through scripture and went through a bunch of other topics. Does God kill and things like that? And I, the, the, it didn't even occur, hell didn't even occur to me. It was the last thing I got to. <laughs> but by the time I got to it, I was already so built up in it. It wasn't much of a jump for me. And especially when I when I went back and I saw how the early church, how the early church interpreted the majority of the early church. And there's some debate about that. But, you know, basically, you know, there there were six theological schools and one of them taught, uh, you know, only one of them taught eternal conscious torment, that hell was eternal conscious torment. One school taught annihilationalism, that you're just incinerated. But four of them, four of the theological schools taught that that uh, and really It taught that there was redemption, that hell was curative. Whatever it is, that it's curative and we're there to go on a post-mortem walkabout, basically. And we get, uh, and we're taken back and pruned back and we understand. And it's the Lord having more elbow room, you know, in the afterlife to minister to us, to take us on a Scrooge type of journey, you know, like Scrooge went through in The Christmas Carol. Um, But I, I think for me, the issue of hell really comes down to this, Bill was so right that it is an amalgam of different concepts in the Bible. So I what I like to do is to trim it back and start off with a very, very uh simple idea that we not use the word hell necessarily. We don't avoid it either, but we don't use it. We don't have to be wed to it. And I, for me, you know, Paul, for instance, never used the word hell in any of his writings or any of the other words for hell. But
0: but, but we, the reason it's such a big deal is because everyone else does use the word hell. Yes, like we gotta it, address it.
2: Yeah, it's kicked its way to the bar. It's elbowed its way up to the bar. But 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 here's I think the wiser way to see it is is if we look that it's undeniable that Scripture paints Paul did this. Uh, everyone you know, even the Old Testament's done it in a place or two, where it talks about postmortem judgment and flames, the flames the purifying flames of God. So really, for me, the question is, all right, let's just put the word hell aside for a minute. We we can talk about it. But that really, what is the nature of the postmortem flames, which scripture talk about that we go through? Mm. And is the purpose of the flames to uh, to hurt us and to torture us and to torment us, for uh, to infinitely torture us <laughs> for finite sins that we committed on the earth? See, it doesn't even start off from that. Or is, is the fire of God something else? Is it ultimately redemptive? Is it ultimately purgative? Is it ultimately rehabilitative? Is it ultimately healing? And I think as we look at the nature of Jesus and saw how he ministered, I think we see that the nature of Jesus is always healing. It's nothing but healing. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of, of, of the devil, Acts 10.38 says. Doing good and healing all. That was his ministry. So if we extend that to the post mortem life, uh, then, I, then I think that we have to consider the possibility, the strong possibility that if the flames of God reveal the nature of God, then the flames of God are going to purge us in the afterlife and restore us and not violate our free will, but woo us, convince us, cleanse us, bring us into cathartic repentance and cathartic realization of the, na- of the perfect and flawless nature of God. So that, that would be my take.
0: That is clearly not what we hear in churches today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not at all. In fact, uh, if I rabbit trail there, uh, I know my Baptist upbringing says Catholics are all going to hell um you know because because they don't really believe in the real jesus in fact i saw a meme the other day of a muslim sitting down with a christian they're both opening up their books to each other so the christian says oh you're going to hell and the muslim says oh so are you it's just, really, it's just really funny it's like what but uh here's the catholic part you just talked about a word perga something so is there could the Catholics have had a redemptive sense of purgatory instead of what it turned into what it is now? Um, it could yeah. do you know any history about that?
2: Uh, me? Yeah. Uh, yes, um, but I, I wouldn't attribute to the Catholics. I mean, that they formalized it later in some sort of doctrine, but it had certain limitations to it—the doctrine of purgatory. But it's better than nothing, <laughs> you know. But okay. it really. We go back beyond that. The early church, its origin, Gregory of uh, Nyssa, and so many others believed this, that, uh, that hell was for our, uh, uh, I like to call it uh, crisis management, you know, because the word for judgment is crisis, on which the word crisis is built on. And that word has been used in the Greek, in the ancient world, that word was used to, to describe the turning point in a disease. That w- In other words, the turning point, when you are at your worst, but then you got better you know, the turning point, the turn of the tide. And so that if judgment is the turn of the tide, it's, it's where God like Gandalf in the postmortem comes to us and says, I come to you now at the turn of the tide. And then he takes us on a healing journey. Mm-hmm. And it will, I, I, I could easily believe that it would be anguishing. It would be agonizing as we're brought to the, to the realization of, 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 of the futility of our, you know, some of our decisions and the pain that we've caused and that sort of thing. Um, And it would be it would be anguish. just like Scrooge. Scrooge went through anguish to get. I mean, he thought his life was over. He thought he was dead. He was in the grave, actually. And he came out of the grave and saw the Lord's mercy. And Dickens, by the way, was a universalist. So uh, that that whole thing is obviously an allegory of of universalism. And there were three angels. I mean, who's to know the walkabout? And and listen, I I think we're each going to go on a walkabout. you know, that just may look different for people that have rejected or, or or whatever. I mean, a heightened, you know, a heightened crisis, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's all about crisis management. And and I I think, you know, it's a crisis, but Jesus is the best crisis manager ever.
0: (laughs) I had the, um, the threat of hellfire, uh, hung over my head, my entire life, Mm -hmm. uh, growing up in a German Baptist home, um hated the church so much that I was allowed to finally go to a Pentecostal church. Hey, wasn't much better when it came to the hell stuff, but I felt more free cuz I got to choose to go. And but there was it was still the threat that if you don't then you will. It's all about your choices, your decisions. Um and if you don't you're going to roast. Um, That was a, such a huge fearful threat. In fact, I'll tell you this now then, because I teased you earlier, but there was a time I confronted my mother before she passed away. This is about uh, nine, 10 years ago. Um, she brutally hurt her family in, in painful ways. And I told my dad, I Said, dad, just let me, let me talk to her. I got to confront it. I have to get it out of my system. And I I told her what she, what she had done and ripping our family apart and the judgmentalism, the harshness. And she looked at me and said, you, you are son of Satan. You are going to hell for this. You don't talk to me like that. And in my mind, I thought, well, then if I'm son of Satan, what does that make what does that make you? <laughs> She's kind of funny. But but the point was that was the traditional mindset of threatening. You hear something you don't like, you immediately threaten with hellfire because you're supposed to be submitting to strict obedience. And um uh my dad was in tears, he was weeping. I ended up having to leave after I was finished venting, but I got it off my chest. I felt better about it. Um, and I think my mom the conversation started to change after that a little bit, not much. But the, it, the, again, the threat of hell, uh, fear is a powerful thing. And so I, I think it's fed into the church in a long, in a big way. I think Bill, for you, especially same kind of background, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I have, I have been, I, I grew up in a household with a mother and a father that didn't ever harp on that side of the equation. Hmm. And yet the environment of culture I was raised in, was hyper aware of that, obviously, even as a young kid growing up through the 80s church. Um, that was a big kind of shifting point, I think, where a lot of that had momentum. And then, you know, the, the left behind kind of movement and this idea that there was this moment of, of rapture that you had to be eminently aware of. I grew up, uh, you know, in my late teen years, legitimately scared to death, not of hell, as weird as it sounds, and we're not going to get into this but that I was going to be raptured before I knew the, the love of a woman. I remember that. I remember I, that. I, was legit, <laughs> I mean, legitimately lived in fear, not only of hell, but the fact that God would remove me from this world before I had the opportunity to experience something that I really desperately wanted to know in life. And that, how, how twisted is that? that that's that's like, seriously twisted. <laughs> That that's the framework of the faith of God that I grew up in. And 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 yet hell was always that underlying threat. Now I was baptized at six years old. My parents were, you know, born again Christians. My my grandparents were missionaries. So I never had a chance. I was saved as soon as possible, you know, before the age of enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, or the, the age of accountability. I made it. So I was always uh, you know, in the in the in, in the good. In the good place, or headed for the good place. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, by the way. That show, by the way. I Have mean, either one of you watched The Good Place? Yes. I mean, you want to talk about a social experiment, a really well-done TV show on kind of the fallacy of hell. Watch The Good Place and Heaven, for that matter. And and, and anyway, to to, to digress, um, I, I've come to the. Understanding that just like Richard does, that hell is not about a place of punishment and torture. And I am, I try to be extremely deliberate with my language when I, I talk to this topic because I think it's so important now. The word hell, I think the three of us, it, it's not even pragmatically a biblical word. I still use the word because it has social connotation and because we are kind of dependent.
0: Social. On it connotations
1: yeah and it had, and we have a, we have a social dependency on the word to mean something but it's a norse word that was adopted by you know germanic languages and ultimately by latin-based languages right like english and and it's a norse word and even if you go study Norse mythology i mean if you've seen you know thor in the marvel cinematic universe thor's sisters named hella because she's the goddess of the dead. And that's all oh, just part of it. I know this is I never
0: caught that.
1: Yeah, that's where hell comes from. It's not even a, it's not even a Greek or a Latin thing. It's, it's a Norse thing that came well after the whole Christian migration uh, into the Northern Europe. So that amalgamation happened around the time of translation, right? The first translation of scripture was obviously into German, at least in its full capacity. And that's where a lot of this gets homogenized. And, and so hell in and of itself, once we get past that, and I, you know, maybe this is a good transition Find right now, but it's not one thing. It's this blend of Sheol, a Hebrew word. It's a, it's a Hades, a Greek term. It's Gihana, which is a Greek term talking about a Hebrew place. It's, you know, Tartarus, which is, again is another Greek thing. And all of a sudden we, we, we break these apart and realize, okay, there's other things going on here. There's cultural significance to some of these things. Bill? Yeah.
0: Are you actually telling us that the word hell is not in the English Bible or not in the Greek Bible?
1: not in the greek or hebrew correct
0: it is in the english bible well in translations (laughs) so well i I was hoping you'd get to this because we're going to come back to this in just a second but that is such a critical part yeah that's right because i did not know this for a long time i think it was maybe five or ten years ago It was the first time no it was probably five years ago if i'm really honest because it wasn't a focus for me but To find out the word hell, H-E, double hockey sticks, is not in the Bible. Um, It was like, what? Wait a minute. And now I find out there's other words for it. What are those words, please? Remind us of what they are.
1: Well, so there's sheol, which is a Hebrew word, right? And sheol is, as pragmatically said, is the grave or the underworld, the abode of the dead is maybe how it would be translated, which is very similar to Hades. There weren't punitive consequences in Sheol. It was just a place dead bodies went, and some people believe that there was life in that underworld. Some people believe there wasn't life in that underworld, but at the end of the day, it was just the underworld. Um, Same thing with Hades. Um, You have a Gihana, and we probably can get in that one a little bit more that had scriptural connotations going back to the book of josh joshua i think right and and the valley of ben hinnom uh and the jewish culture but i think it also had metaphorical references at the time of jesus and honestly when absolutely when jesus talks about the the threats of this place called hell you've always we've all heard that that phrase jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven baloney not exactly a and b not really exactly when we understand that there was there there was a cultural specificity to the word he was picking and choosing to use both i think in some literal terms but in a very allegorical sense as well and then tartarus is is only used once in scripture as far as i know um and it, it's even it did have some punitive aspects but it's only talked about in regards with angels not humans so and then you have lake of fire you have the weeping and gnashing of teeth you have all these other images that are then been associated with hell but i think have to look at it in the context of their independent biblical references they're not one thing that they're isolated to the author and the metaphors that author is using of symbology and also understanding what's being trying to convey through their, their utilization so like jesus using the outer darkness or the weeping and gnashing of teeth is almost always associated with a parable, and now we need to look who is being um, given those, you know, tormenting experiences and why. And then all of a sudden, it kind of flips the script on that whole narrative of sinners go to hell or unbelievers go to hell. It's not exactly what we find out. <laughs> there you go. It's not exactly find <laughs> out when we dig into the nuts and bolts of Jesus. Right there, you go. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's true. You know, I, I was just blown away. In fact, I think Brian Zond said he went to hell last year or the year before, and it's a gorgeous garden in, oh, yes. in Israel wow. now. You yeah. know? But nobody told us that, that that word, English hell, was Gehenna in the one spot. Like this, we need to look at each of those locations eventually. If you want to go do a deeper dive, there's some good resources out there for that. Well,
1: I, think, I think, and again, maybe Richard, you can expand on this, the King James version of the Bible. Good, bad, or indifferently became such a linchpin of, of Western orthodoxy. Mm. And in all pragmatic truth, it is probably the most poorly translated version of Scripture when it comes to this specific topic. Wow, It, it uses hell for every single one of those words. And it doesn't allow for the diversification of that word to have its place in context, Old Testament understandings, New Testament understandings, and so on. Newer translations are honestly doing a better job at that. But our dependency on that word really comes from the King James Version of the Bible, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, powerful. Richard, have you ever written on this stuff? (laughs) I know you've written on demonology and stuff. And I started to scour through some of the articles you've written. I can't believe how much stuff you've written on, but has this been addressed yet?
2: Probably more than anything else I've written about. Uh, Yeah. I've got, um, I wanted, yeah, I I might share some of the, some of the names of the articles that I've written just to let you know that the things that can be drawn into this. And I'll do that in a minute, but I've, I think one one reaction to avoid is a lot of I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, hell's nowhere in the Bible," I th- and and so it's just an imaginary... You know, the whole thing is just imaginary; it doesn't exist. I think that doesn't do service to the debate, though, really?
1: because I think if
2: we're honest, there are lots of passages that seem to indicate some sort of fiery judgment, some sort of destruction going on in the postmortem sense, which is why I would I, I think we. We do better by just saying, well, let's just talk about the nature of God, the nature of his fire and and what is being destroyed, because there's a presumption that when it talks about destruction, that what's being destroyed is all is us, us. And, yeah. you know, are you telling me that God's so clumsy and has such a broad sword that all he can do is hack us to pieces eternally and then don't let us die while he's hacking us to pieces?
1: Richard. God doesn't do that.
0: Satan does that. <laughs> 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 and he's
2: in right. control of hell. You know, well, our me, whole <laughs> cultural understanding of hell is that Satan rules it. So the whole thing's, it's a demonic, it's a, it's a demonic uh, construct yeah. for sure. But, but whereas God is, is, it's more of an emergency. It's more like a, an insane asylum, a ward where he nourish, nourishes people back to spiritual health. Yeah. And um, I think that, we, you know, to be fair, we just need to understand the most important thing. I think is what the nature of judgment is. That's the, that's where the debate ought to be. We presume what judgment is. We presume judgment is eternal conscious torment. I'm not conceding that for half a second. We need to. I'll disagree, but I'll get to my disagreement point in a minute.
0: <laughs> I've got one too.
2: But, uh, but to think about you know God as as a fatherly judge uh, who is the. Uh, Um, you know, who loves us as children. What would we do if we were omnipotent and we wanted our children to be restored? We And we wanted to judge them, our nature, we would judge them to restore them, to rehabilitate them, to heal them. I mean, that's not even a jump. And Jesus never did anything other than that. You know, he was always looking to heal every situation. Why on earth, why on earth do we presume that judgment, Is some sort of uh, venomous, uh, retaliatory, petty, hostile, vicious, vindictive, just just nightmare because we don't know the nature of God. And because ever since the knowledge of good and evil came and they started being scared of God, they put fig leaves. They weren't scared of God to begin with. They were walking in the calm of the garden. It was everything was jiggy. They didn't even know they were naked in front of me. They were so unaware. And yet the knowledge of good and evil with the first thing that it did, it caused them to flee from God. And they had a misperception of his character and they started projecting. It was the woman you gave me, you know, I mean, it, they, they started projecting blame on God and distorting, distorting his nature. And so hell is it. Hell reflects the distortion we have of God's nature. I think yeah. that, that I've never that said that accurate. before, but that sure seems well, right.
0: That is so accurate. So let me come back to Bill. You had an objection. I'd like to hear yours. Um, I've got one, an objection on um, the word hell again in scripture. I am I, I think what you're saying is correct, Richard. That,
1: Absolutely. That I agree, is a Richard. Dist- Mine's semantical. So, and, and okay. this is, I think where language, Richard, I know you've said this and we've had this conversation. I think Mike, we have too, that language is so flexible and we get so dogmatically tied to these words and the, the, presumed meaning behind the words. And the irony with eternal conscious torment is, is it, it inherently brings forth this idea of the punitive judgment of God. But just like you're talking about, if we think about the cathartic crisis, right, the cathartic healing, restorative love of God, those three words can absolutely still apply in a positive sense. We've made ECT bad, because we presume the ECT means painful judgment, right? Not healing judgment. The truth is eternal. That's not a bad thing. That just means the fire of God never, ever, ever stops burning for us. If it's for us again, versus against us, right? Number two, conscious. Well, that just means I have awareness, which God is the, the essence or the source of awareness. I am that I am, right? We are a... A drop in the the sea of I am. We're individual drops. So as long as I am, God is there. Period. So conscientiousness or consciousness dictates that I have God's fire for me, and I am and I am present with the essence of God. And torment, again, if we dig into words, and this is why I love digging into words, torment's not a bad thing. Torment is a word that means touchstone in the original Greek. And it was a a mechanism of purification for precious metals. It was the the stone they would literally rub a piece of gold or silver on and they'd have a, a chart and depending on the mark of the gold or the silver they could understand the purity and that was the touchstone and if it wasn't pure then you melt it down you'd bring the impurities to the top, you'd scrape it off, you'd let it coalesce again, and then you'd rub it on the touchstone again. And it was a process of healing and refining and bringing forth the essence, the intrinsic value of the purity that was. Well, I'm okay with eternal conscious torment if that's what we get to the understanding of judgment on. It's when we think that judgment's pure, pu- punitive. And I think that's this whole thing back to, I, I totally agree with Richard. It's really not about the word hell. It's not about ECT. It's not even about Gihanna. It's about who God is. And if God's exactly like Christ, we can reframe this whole thing in a, in a whole new way that's so much more beautiful and hopeful than anything we've known before.
2: You so, know, you know, F.F. Bruce, just real quick, Mike, F.F. Bruce said that the nature, viewing hell as eternal conscious torment, it, and not the way Bill was describing but in the way it's, it's massively, you know, applied, yeah, yeah. Is incompatible with the revealed nature of God, which Jesus, being the revealed nature of God, and I think that's a great quote um, on that. And of course, Bruce didn't go where I would go with it, but I mean that—that he's—he's he's pretty respected guy. It is incompatible with the revealed nature of Jesus. Absolutely, it's an—it's an impossibility, and that—that's why you know I ain't going there because Jesus has shown me enough mercy and grace that there's no way that the Jesus I know would do that ever, ever, Mm -hmm. or ever allow it to be done Mm -hmm. or ever rejoice in heaven while it was being done in some pit below him. It's
0: nuts. So part two that we're going to do right after this today, this is just part one. I want to cover the fire and the judgment, if that's okay. Um, But you mentioned something, uh, Richard, about uh, the whole idea of judgment. When you started to talk about that, it reminded me of a turning point Uh, When I was a teenager in the Pentecostal church, they were talking about the judgment of God and the love of God. I went home that night. I could not sleep. It's two or three in the morning. I'm still thinking about if God is loving, I didn't understand God is love at the time, but if God is loving, I'm his child. And I could not think how he could dip me in the fire. I I could not comprehend that, but I guess I, I must be so bad because I'm just not good enough. Uh, it just, it was a vicious cycle and I had to put that on the back burner, no pun intended, but I had to put it away and not visit it again. It took 20, 30 years until I revisited that topic. It was just so, so big. So, mm. you know, what is all this? And and again, I want to get back to the hell, my, my rebuttal to your hell comment. While I, I too, I totally agree that it's about the concept of judgment and the, how we judge God and how we perceive God. But in our context of culture today, the strong, flippant use of the word hell amongst those who use it as a go-to shortcut, that's where I'm frustrated. And that's where I would use the phrase, hey, it's not even in the Bible but I don't think I can stop there. I must continue the conversation. Otherwise, I'm just using it as a shock statement for my own benefit to shut down argument, right? There must be a way. Like we've talked about, there's there's another concept of purging, cleaning, purifying, but not the word H-E-L-L. And it's just been so misconstrued in Christian culture today. We must revisit it. I want to read to you guys a quote from Kenneth Tanner. Uh, that was in the book, um, The Pastor. This is a book by Brad Jerzek and um, William Paul Young. And the very first line in the preface, it goes like this. Nothing can separate us from the love and presence of God, but we can live now and in eternity as if God is not present, as if God does not exist or love us. And that is the definition of hell. Kenneth Tanner. I thought that was an interesting perspective. It's not the answer, but you start to piece together all these collages of phrases and, and thoughts from different people. It's this artistic picture is going to come together quickly. That's more beautiful than the eternal torment that we've been growing up with. Right. right. So, anyway. And, and I,
1: I, you know, I know we're about to wrap this, this one up, but I, I would even, contend that if we dig into the, the imagery that Jesus gives us over and over and over again, there's even another layer onto hell that, that honestly, I think we, we just absolutely miss the mark on over and over. And I say hell, you know, in who's bound and determined for that place, at least even from the purification and tormenting sense that has but again, I think there can be a torturous sense. It's not torturous from God, but it's self-inflicted, right? It's a self-inflicted is what's Kenneth saying there. But I think there's a, there's another element of it. Maybe that's a good teaser for the next
0: one. Yeah. Well, I was gonna, just going to tease with this. Is it possible? <laughs> tell me, tell me if you guys think that pr- part of the problem and misconception of hell, as we hear it today, is Jesus teaching on torment, on pain and suffering and fire, that may have nothing to do with this eternal torment place that we've been talking about. He might be referring to something completely different. Is it
1: possible? And, and yet I will go ahead and say an allegorically yet still possibly in play.
0: Okay. Let's come back to that. <laughs> I right. have officially been teased. <laughs> all right thank you everyone that's it for this one we're gonna do part two so make sure you watch parts one and two uh because this is getting fun uh we'll see you next time on still growing in grace we're here with bill thrasher and richard murray i'm michael zanker thank you for taking time to watch wow i i hope you enjoyed that um we recorded this like last week and hearing it now like i'm watching with you live this is fully live the interview is pre-recorded but i'm watching live listening live interacting with the comments live as best i can if you're commenting on youtube it's really hard for me to respond on youtube but it's much easier on facebook um but th- i caught something at the end there cuz i i found it interesting that if you heard this i i am trying i was trying to hang on to the argument of hell's not in the bible did you did you kind of catch that and bill and richard are saying that isn't the overlying theme the theme is who is god is this part of his character otherwise we go down a rabbit trail of um um fighting over in fact a phrase i used after we turned the recording off was we're fighting about what it isn't I thought oh my goodness that that's good we're fighting about what it is and so i um i humbly submit to my rebuttal and realize now they're right that that is i i am the one who needs to reframe even more how i have this discussion it's it's pretty powerful you're gonna love next week's oh my goodness uh, it just goes on and on but i hope you caught that very p- good part at the end especially uh, with richard sharing um what the focus ought to be that was that was rich to hear it as you guys are hearing it uh and i have already had the conversation sometimes when you're in the conversation you don't hear it the same way but i heard it differently by watching so we're not done learning and neither am i so anyway i i uh uh, back when i did a forgiveness series i collected probably 25 different definitions of what forgiveness is, uh, from folks and no one definition is correct, um, or complete, but putting them together, suddenly it expands our understanding of what it could mean to other people in the same way, this topic of hell, you know, what, what is it, um, helping us understand this i'm gonna do a quick uh hello to a bunch of folks that are watching lisa thank you for chiming in sandra from the uk oh so good to meet you um send me a note on facebook because i have no way to connect with you on on uh, youtube it doesn't work that way um terry good morning great to see you on charles from winnipeg love it um who else is here linda good morning linda glad you're watching Uh, mike from oregon uh, Oregon however you say it <laughs> I'll never get it right um Sandra good morning Sandra oh there, there you are again and then we had uh who else chimed in here Linda's uh yeah Linda's chiming in and Danny yeah Danny this is a great conversation I'm I'm in I'm starting to enjoy the conversation on topics more so than just teaching on it. teaching on it has value but um um com having a conversation allows a less dogmatic approach to it um, it's not supposed to be just purely to educate but to interact with and learn so it's pretty cool good morning Christopher you're from Louisville hey that's awesome <laughs> great to have you join us today oh man um, okay let's uh, wrap this up I hope you enjoyed that uh, share if you liked it um, you're gonna yeah I, I thought it was good I can hardly wait for the next one and the one after that it's just getting more and more rich so that that's all we got i hope you guys have a really fantastic day and uh, we will see you next time